0: We start back at the beginning of 1 Corinthians and we're going to be able to do what we, hopefully you've grown accustomed of us doing, and that is we're going to begin to work through this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, one section at a time. And uh, overwhelmed by the gifts that God has given us, I think you will be, see this, that this is where Paul begins, and he's going to deal with everything that video you just said. And we're going to deal with every single thing as, we, as the scripture comes to it. But he begins in a certain place today. And so let's begin where he begins, at the beginning. And stand with me to your feet. Paul is writing this letter as an apostle of Jesus Christ. The words he speaks are the very words of God. And so let us read this This morning, 1 Corinthians 1, beginning at verse 1, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in Him. In all speech and all knowledge. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom we are called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is God's Word. Let us pray. Lord, we... Acknowledge that we are on holy ground because your word is being spoken. And though we come here in joy and in worship, we do not come in at this place and open your word frivolously or without reference. Lord, we honor you as the God of all. We honor your son as the Lord of all. Teach us, Lord. Lord to be the people you've called us to be for the glory of your name and the glory of the name of your son Jesus Christ our Lord amen you can be seated doesn't take long whether you're in a relationship with a friend or your spouse or even a boyfriend or a girlfriend that you whether you come home or go over to their house Thinking everything's fine, you know, just completely clueless. I think all of our men probably understand this. We Half the time we walk around clueless of what's really going on in the world and sometimes in our own family and maybe our wife or our friend or our spouse says, uh, can we talk? All of a sudden the light bulb comes on. This is what's about to happen. Paul's about to say, uh, in church, uh, Can you come here and sit here for a second? We got some things we need to talk about. Do you remember last week? We did sort of the overview. Just took a peek under the hood, so to speak. This is just a little paragraph. I think it helps. Let us remember what we're about to head towards. Paul describes the church in Corinth from God's perspective as a large church with many converts. Yet. Is full of cliques, each following different personalities. There's a lot of snobs around. The rich keeping to themselves, leaving the poor believers alone and without. There's very little to no church discipline going on. And so this led to laxity both in doctrine and their morals. They were unwilling to submit to authority, even questioning Paul's integrity there was a wholesale lack of humility and very little consideration of other people. Some even believers were suing other believers and were boldly expressing their freedoms in Christ. Though the, with no thought of the conscience of the weaker believers in their family. They loved the more dramatic gifts, but were very short on love rooted in truth. This is who he's affixing to say, uh, let's sit down, we've got to talk for a minute. And yet he starts where he starts. This is the main idea today. All who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ are enriched. And listen, will be sustained to the end by his grace. Paul seems to be, when you read these first nine verses, very optimistic, very hopeful, considering what he's about to have to deal with. Have you ever been that person who has to sit somebody down and say, I have a talk and you have all of these things going through your mind that you know you need to deal with and that's a problem and where do you start? That's where Paul's at as he writes this. So I want us to do a little exercise. I I hope you have, if not, you'll pick it up on the end. I'm trying to pick it up right here. There's a growth group template that's right out on the left where you're sermon notes are. You should be getting one of those. That's the basis of what you're preparing yourself every week and then the growth groups as we meet. I want you to look at your verses now. This is for all ages. There's not an age in this room that can't do this exercise. I want you to tell me, look at verses one to nine. I'm going to give you just a minute. How many times in verses one to nine is Jesus Christ mentioned? And this is, this is, all of our jobs. I'm not moving on till we somebody gives me a number. How many times is Jesus Christ mentioned in verses one to nine? Got, I got eight. How many? Anybody else? Got nine. There's a winner right there. Nine verses. Jesus Christ is in there nine times. So you don't have to be a pastor nor a teacher to understand what the main point of this text is, right? If you were writing some outline points, you better have Jesus Christ in them. Because that's what it's centered on today in his greeting. This is why and how he is optimistic. He is pointing them. This is not just a greeting, though it is. He is directing them in the greeting to a particular place. He's starting them with Jesus Christ. So, first point in your outline notes. Paul's Christ-centered greeting directs the church towards their calling and Christ's lordship. This is, if you were a Greco-Roman, you would, have, you would recognize this letter as a standard letter. This is the way you would start. If you're in a business, you've got to write a business letter. You know there is a particular format that you should follow. This, there's nothing surprising in the format But the content means everything. And so, let's begin. One word, another word I want you to pick up here on. As you know in your exercise of how we understand Scripture, we look for these words, these common words that he repeats. We see the first one in verse 1. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle. So we have a word here called. Me or you do not get to make up what that word means. We don't look it up in the Webster's Dictionary. This word means what it meant when it was written. And that word means summoned. In other words, there's lordship even in the word called. Paul says, I have been summoned. Some translations change that, use that word as chosen. It's a good word. That's what it means. Called, summoned, chosen. Here's what this means. I'm not making this up. Someone whose participation or presence have been officially requested and whose refusal is not an option. This is what that means. That's what Paul starts the letter. Paul, summoned by the king, by the will of God. Who has been called? First one, Verse 1. Who's been called? You tell me. What does verse 1 say? Paul. Amen. Paul's been called. That's what it says. Paul was, remember, the unlikely apostle. A Pharisee of Pharisees. Remember his name was Saul? He was the Pharisees. Remember the Pharisees? They were the conservative side. So important it was that, that the Israel did not become idolaters again, that they even added more rules to make sure that the rules that you're supposed to keep, you're keeping them. That was their passion. And he was passionate. Persecuting Christians. He hated Christians. You remember, he was going to Damascus. He wasn't looking for Jesus. He hated Christians. He was going there to persecute them. And who shows up in his life? Jesus. Knocks him off his animal and blinds him. He is redeemed on that road, and he is called. You remember, spends two years in the desert comes back, goes to Jerusalem and says, this is the gospel. The other apostles say, yep, that's it. We're going to preach to the, to the Jews and you preach to the Gentiles. That's exactly what Paul is. Paul is an apostle. That means sent one. But he is coming with apostolic authority as he writes this letter. This means when he says what he says, it is God's own commands. 1 Corinthians 14 1 Corinthians 14, look with me at verse 37. I want you to see why I'm saying what I'm saying there. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or a spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a what? Command of who? The Lord. The Lord has called him. He is an apostle. When he says something, it is coming from command of the Lord. Who is called? Paul is. Who else is called? Look at verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ, Jesus, called to be saints together. So someone tell me in that text, who's called? The church is called. Do you see it? The word church is not a particular Christian word in that day. It simply means an assembly, a gathering. What changes everything is the two words after church of God. We know this because we call this what? The word of what? Word of God. The word of means as belonging to. This is the gathering, the assembly of those who belong to God. He is called them notice the word called is in here multiple times note two words that go along with this Do you see the word sanctified sanctified in Christ called to be saints Do you see those those are two really important words the word sanctified is a passive verb it's an action word he's what he's saying is somebody is acting upon the church sanctifying her. That's what it means. It's what passive means. He's being acted upon. But at the same time, they are, they are called saints. Saints is an adjective describing the church of God. You know he's gonna have an English lesson this morning, did you? Eng- words are important. That's just what it means. Sanctified and saints, same root word. One's a verb, one's an adjective. Means separated, devoted to, holy. The church is called, they belong to God to be its he is sanctifying her and belongs to her, to him. Look at the end of verse two though. He adds something here, and all with all those with all those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord. All those who call on the name. He's, he's getting this from somewhere. He's pulling from Joel chapter 2 verse 32. If you want to look it up you can or look it up later. Here's what Joel two thirty-two says. And it comes to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So when the New Testament says that, you're pulling from the Old Testament. In other words, listen, the called, call. Those who are called, call, willfully and freely. He's, not, he's saying, he's what he's directing them to. You have the church local, you have the church in Corinth, but he's saying, listen, you're not the only gathering. There is the universal church, the global church. There is the church in Ephesus and the church in Galatia and the church in Kings Mountain. There is a commonness here. You see it in the text. One Lord. You see it? Both their Lord and ours. Everyone who calls on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the calling and lordship are are inseparable. The called are sanctified. And the called call on Jesus as their Lord Why is this important here in the greeting? Because he's about to deal with their disunity. He's about to deal with their divisions. He's about to deal with their petty differences. He's about to deal with the local church's competitive nature. Here, in our community. And he's saying, make no mistake. God has his people. And he is their Lord. It is to these people who are called that he says grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, Lord, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is standard greeting, but it is anything but standard, is it? He's going to build on this grace right here. He introduces here in the normal greeting, but he's going to build on it. But who does he mention in this greeting? Tell me. Who does he mention? Who's he? he, From who? God? How does he call God? This is New Testament Christian good stuff right here. Our Father. That's a, there's a sermon right there. <laughs> it's a sermon. Go home, look up a Jewish website. When they talk about God, they still put G underscore D. They won't even say his name. Here we have the cause of Christ calling the God of the universe our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Equality. The Godhead. Grace and peace. This word peace, this shalom, is not simply the absence of strife. As some might say, hope you have peace, which means I hope the bad stuff that's happening stops. That's not what people mean. They mean positive blessings when they say this. In other words, if, if a Jewish person said it to another Jewish person or a Christian person says it to another Christian person, we are speaking of God's covenant blessings. We are saying, may God bring His covenant promises and His covenant blessings to you. Charles Hodge says this, Grace is favor and peace is its fruits, and both have one infinite source, the Godhead. So these are those who have received the called, grace and its fruit, peace. And then he goes even more, knowing what's ahead. You know, wanting to go and start at verse 10, we notice that there's a, verses 4 to 7, it's almost shocking, it's almost surprising that he would be so thankful for such a people. By the way, a little sidebar parenting here. You need to not always be correcting because with children, there is always plenty to correct. And if God was looking at us, he'd say the same thing. Amen? We look for things to affirm. Here's what we see. There's a very practical things we can take away from this greeting. We look for things to affirm. Your kids didn't have more problems than the Corinthian church. These people were messed up. And we're going to talk about it. But here, Paul gives a Christ-centered thanksgiving for the church. And listen, what he's doing. He's directing her at the same time. Towards God's grace. Towards God's faithfulness. Towards Christ's faithfulness. Verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given you. In Christ Jesus. You gotta keep asking yourself, Why is Paul so hopeful? Why is he so positive? Why is he so thankful? When all of these other things is on his mind, they're urgent, they're big, they're a problem, they're serious. He wants to direct her first, the church. When I say her, I mean the church, towards God's grace. Notice verse 4. Grace is given. See, I'm not making that up. I'm trying to pull that. This is the, the best way, the only way to understand Scripture. What does it say? It says he was given grace to come from God in Christ. And it was given. I love Grudem's definition of grace he says god's goodness to those who only deserve punishment that's a good humbling way to start with grace isn't it we say this a lot in our family grace is getting what you do not deserve that's what he's saying and this grace comes from in christ oh there's so many things to say about those Two little words. We've looked at Ephesians, what it means to be in Christ. Can I just read you a few texts? They're probably not—they're not on your notes, I don't think. And you may just want to listen to them. They're just good. We know these texts. Galatians three, twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Galatians 3, 28 and twenty-nine says this: This is the countercultural we talked about a couple weeks ago. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Because you're in Christ. We're one family. There's no class system. There's no rich and poor There's no slave nor free. There's no Jew nor Greek. There's only those who have been called in Christ. And we are one. This is the revolutionary Jesus Christ who said, yes, oh yes, in that culture. Women have the same heirs and inheritance as men. Now you get back in that culture and try to process that. That's what he says. We are all in Christ. Heirs of Christ, joint heirs. We have a new life. Remember Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me. He gave Himself for me. He's saying, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ. And yet I'm still living. I'm living by faith. We've been given a new life in Christ. This is the grace. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 22 says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. In other words, if you're in Christ, we are invincible. Kill my body, burn it, crush it up into powder like they did the fall, our, founding, our fathers of Christianity and He will just raise them back up and the resurrection you can't destroy those in Christ we are safe in him this is the grace and this is what he's saying look at verse 5 you've been enriched by this grace see it that that in every way you were enriched in him in Christ in all speech and all knowledge So people like to argue about, what is he talking about? Speech and knowledge. Is this spiritual gifts or is this general gifts? Is this the receiving of the word and understanding it? More than likely, he is speaking to spiritual gifts here. He's affirming that within the church there is some giftedness that is going on. He's going to Chapter 12 and 14. He's going to talk about the abuses. He's not talking about the abuses now. He's affirming. There's giftedness. Speaking from Grudem's definition. And I like it. I'll tell you why in a minute. Of spiritual gifts. He says this. Spiritual gifts are any ability. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. And used in any ministry of the church. That being he saying both natural gifts and supernatural gifts, spirit-empowered, used in the ministry of God's people. So we have this word gift that's used in scripture, and here's the truth and the reality. If you do just a survey, you'll find this word gift using different ways. Sometimes it's in Romans 5.15. It's for salvation Romans eleven twenty nine 29 it uses it in a more general giftedness way. And in chapter 12 of our letter here, we'll see that it's a special endowment of the Holy Spirit. But here's what you don't want to miss. Why is he pointing that out? Why is he pointing grace in every way? Because he's not making much of them. He's not making much of their human achievements. That's the point. He's making much of what that God's grace has been given in Christ and what has been accomplished has been accomplished because of the grace that has been given. This is a good way to affirm people, by the way. You affirm what you see, but you remind them. Well, let's see what you remind them of. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 4. I want you to see this. I love this passage. This is a good passage to remind yourself I was reminded of that. Didn't say anything as I come in and the praise team is warming up and practicing and the production team are doing what they're doing right now and most people don't even see them back there. And I was reminded of the grace at this moment that was being used for his ministry to church. Here's what he... 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who sees anything different in you What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? This is where he starts with him in the greeting. You've been given grace upon grace. And you didn't deserve it. But you've been given it. It has enriched your life and the life of our church. It also confirms something. Look at verse 6. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, this enriching by His grace confirms something. Grace received confirms the testimony given. Grace received confirms the testimony that had been given. And He's going to make much about the gospel in in the next week and the chapter 2, really through the rest of the letter. Because our testimony, you see the testimony they had received, was nothing more than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's gift of teaching, of preaching, was simply the conduit by which the message came, by which the people of God began to understand the knowledge of Christ, The gifts then were the confirmation, the strengthening, we're going to see this word come back in a little bit, and proof of the effective nature of this gospel. They have been called, they had called, and they have been gifted. This was the effects of them as the people of God. God has given them grace. And this grace provides a confirmation, a strengthening. If you take all of that grace, grace given, grace enriched, grace confirmed, you say, well, what's the main, what is he making sure in the greeting? Turn with me to 2 Peter and then we'll come back. I you to see I think Peter states it clearly, and then we'll go back and see what Paul says here. They're saying the same thing. Grace provides. Here's just what he wants. Before he starts correcting, before he starts admonishing, before he stops, starts, so to speak, spanking the church, he reminds that God has given the church everything the church needs. This is what Peter said. Second Peter 1 verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellency by which He has granted to us precious and very great promises. Why? So that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. On Fridays, I go to a website called Operation World. It's a really good website. I would encourage you to check it out sometimes. It helps us pray for the nations. Because you see, sometimes even your preacher can get so consumed with what's going on in his own life or within the life of the church that we must force ourselves to look beyond ourselves and realize God has a church and He has a people. And so I've been... Reading and praying, understanding the nations and what's going on. And I see this commonality of prayer. They said, oh God, pray that we would have a copy of the Bible in our own language. The preachers are saying, we don't have a Bible. We got a congregation and we don't have a Bible. Pray that God would give us a Bible. I'm sitting there going, oh God, I got a stack of them. Hear me, brothers and sisters. We should dig wells. And we should organize feeding programs. We should. All these things must be done. But if we do not place God's words in their minds and in their hands. We have not given them all they need. We. Brothers and sisters, are the conduits of God's grace. We are the conduits that bring the gospel to the nations. And this is not optional. God has given the church all she needs. So is this what Paul's saying? We'll look back in 1 Corinthians now and look at verse 7 with me. He says, so that. You are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you see, he's saying, him and Peter agree. God has called you, he has gifted you, and you have all you need to live for him. Isn't it sort of surprising, though? He brings up the second coming here. Do you see it? I think it's surprising maybe for us. Wouldn't have been surprising maybe for the church at that time. So that you are not lacking any gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that what you're waiting on this morning? When's the last time the second coming of Jesus crossed your mind? It's in Paul all the time. We, we, we'll see the, you'll see this all the time as you, as you read and study your Bible. Why? why? Well, many reasons. But let's just understand it in context this morning. He's just told the church, God has given you these amazing gifts. He's called you, and those whom he calls, he gifts. He gives them gifts. General, special. Think about this this morning. I thought about this, Mike, as y'all were singing. Every gift that you have, every ability that God has given you that are both general and special... Your family time, I have seven people in my family, and now they're in college, I seldom get to have everybody around the table. And when I do, it's special. It's grace. You know what that is? That moment when we're all around the table, it's a foretaste of glory divine. Every grace that you're given, that you experience in part, in temporary will be experienced in His fullness as His church, as His bride, around the throne. And Jesus Christ will be the focal point. This is why the second coming is on His mind. And He's saying this should be on your mind this morning. We live in light of Christ's return. That's good news. Brothers and sisters, if you knew Jesus was coming back at 9 o'clock in the morning, whose front porch would you be sitting on this evening? Are you with me? These people that we think may get mad if we share the gospel. If Jesus were coming back with a sword on His lap, on His horse, to execute justice on the nations, you would be sitting on their front porch this evening with the gospel, because it's their only hope. His coming is this, is that expectant of His church. And He gives thanks with urgency. And He gives thanks to direct His church towards Christ's faithfulness to His church. And to God's faithfulness. We go back to that same question. Yeah, but you know, they've got incest going on in the church, Pastor. Haven't you read chapter 5 and 6? I mean... These people got problems. How could he be so thankful? Look at verse 7 again. So we don't break up the context here. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. God is faithful. By whom... You were called into the fellowship of his son. How could he be so positive? How can he be so thankful? Because God's own character provides the guarantee. See this word sustain? This is future active. Which means it is actively ongoing and it is future-focused. This is not an imperative. This is not a command. This is not some kind of shadowy hope. This is an indicative statement. It's simply a statement of fact. Christ will sustain His own. This word sustain is the same word in verse 6, confirmed. He will sustain you. He will confirm you. He will keep you strong. Thought about you, Chuck, while I was in the message. Because this is Chuck's favorite passage. Philippians 1.6 I am sure of this. Any doubt in that statement? Not a bit. I am sure of this. That He, who's He? Jesus, who began the work in you, will bring it to completion. When? At the day of Jesus Christ. Not a chance it's not going to happen. His own character is at stake. That's why He's positive. This is why He is thankful. Those whom the Spirit indwells will experience a transformation. And this transformation and this giftedness and this grace that flows in confirms and strengthens and grows our faith as we live as conduits for the gospel of Jesus Christ in this actual world. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is not a vain boast. He's not boasting even in them. He's boasting in verse 9. He's boasting in the faithfulness of God. God's own faithfulness, His own character, His own Godhead, secures my eternal security. That's good news, by the way. His character is at stake. Be careful here. Be careful here. Because if we just take our Baptist history, and I don't know how many of you have studied it. We have all fell off the wagon right here on one side or the other. If you hear that God is sovereign and what he begins, he's going to finish. And it leads you to passivity. You do not understand the gospel. You don't. Look at verse 9. I'm not making this up. Let's just read the text. Verse 9. He introduces a word here, and this word is critical. He's going to work on this word out a little bit later. Verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called, remember that, summoned, chosen, into the fellowship of His Son, Christ Jesus our Lord. That word changes everything. If you'd like to write in your Bibles, you can write over the top of fellowship these two words, partnership, participation. That's helpful, isn't it? Let's just read it again. God is faithful by whom we are called into the partnership of His Son, Christ Jesus. Into the participation. Paul's going to go on to say a little bit later that I'm just a servant. I'm just down in the third level galley of the ship with an oar in my hand. And how can I not row the boat when God has called me to do it? I will be faithful till He comes. To put the oar in my hand and commit to rowing in the direction with Jesus Christ my Lord. We're in fellowship with Him. This this is anything but passive. This is radically active. If we do not understand God's sovereignty as putting us in fellowship with Christ, we do not understand it at all. This is the foundation that he is making when he's going to say, when you create this fellowship in the body, you have already created it between you and Jesus. To breed discord in the body of Christ is to already have created discord between you and Christ. It's that critical. We are in fellowship with him. We cannot attack each other without attacking him. Changes everything, doesn't it? This is his foundation, but don't miss it this morning. Paul's hope. Paul's singular hope is in that which is in these verses nine times. And that's what? Jesus Christ. It's the name. It's what we just got through singing about. Jesus Christ is absolutely central. It's his hope for the church. He's got some purifying. He's got some discipline that's going to have to happen in the next few weeks in this letter. And it cannot happen unless Jesus Christ, we are absolutely on the same page that He is Lord of all. So, what would be the natural question that we should ask ourselves? Have you submitted yourself to the name? I'm not asking you if you prayed a prayer and wrote, your, wrote, a, wrote a date in your Bible. I'm not. I'm asking you, are you submitted to the name today? One day we will all lay in that bed of death. And what will matter supremely on that day is not that when you prayed a prayer when you were eight, but that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, be it cancer or criticism. He's Lord and I will live for Him or I will die in Him and I will go to be with Him. It matters not to me when it happens. That's our hope. Brothers and sisters. That's why he starts where he starts with the church. Philippians. Philippians 2. I love this passage. I love it because of the way it starts and where it ends. Philippians 2. We get this feeling that that even though we're called into into God's church and we should love each other, we should all... Stand in a circle and sing kumbaya. And sometimes we don't, do we? Sometimes I don't want to hold your hand. I'm mad at you about something. It seems to be that this is pretty common because it keeps coming up in the, Paul's letters to the churches. Here's what he's encouraging them. Philippians 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, here's our word, fellowship, by the way, any participation in the Spirit, Any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4, let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Listen, this is important. Look at where he goes. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. Church is yours. Who though he was in the form of God. Did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Because of this. God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name. That is above every name. What's the name? Tells us, doesn't he? Look at verse 10. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in the heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the name, brothers and sisters. And if you have not submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord, you have not submitted to Him at all. How do you know that you've been called by God? You've called on the name. And everyone who calls on the name, none will be put to shame. Everyone who calls on the name, everyone who repents of their sins, and places their trust in Christ in this life and the next, will be saved. And they will be saved by grace. So then as we close. Okay, then we agree we've been saved, we've been called, we've been gifted. So here's my question for you, the church this morning. How are you using it? You've got a gift. You know what I found? He often calls those who love to go to stay. He often calls those who love to stay to go. He often calls the quiet to speak and the speaker to be quiet and listen. He often calls those who struggle with empathy to be merciful and those who, have, who love to be merciful to practice wisdom in their mercy. So never tell God. I could never. That's exactly who He calls. He gifts those who can't do it to do it so that when we do, there's nothing we can brag about. How are you employing your gifts for the glory of God? Are you doing it in the kids ministry or in security or in production? Or... God calls us all. And everyone who calls, He gifts. And everyone He calls and gifts He sustains. So now, brothers and sisters, let us respond with thankfulness. For great is God's faithfulness. Pray with me. Lord, I am drawn to this passage as I come to the close of this message. That Lord, you say in 2 Thessalonians 2.13 that we ought to always give thanks to you. Because God chose us to be saved. And He has sanctified us by Spirit. He has given us the truth. He has called us through the gospel. So that we may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God, on this we stand. So Lord, may we pray over your people, your word. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and a good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And so Lord, we receive our worship as we sing of your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, let's stand together.